Less than 24 hours, Georgians will be under a shelter-in-place order. McDonald, though, said he did not know the man was handcuffed and was trying to use his foot to pin him to the ground so he could be handcuffed. If your friends, neighbors, or local organizations are not complying, report them to us. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Free Georgia Podcast. My name is Jake Green. Thank you so much for joining me today. Y'all, we had a convention this past weekend down in Conyers, Georgia. I would say, I mean, it was hugely successful. We had some great speakers. Uh, we had You Are the Power down there talking about um, medical kidnapping. Um, I did an episode with Jennifer Williams a few weeks ago about medical kidnapping um, in a, the Hernandez family case. Um, you can go to youarethepower.net to learn more about what they do over there and, and that whole case, or you can go back and listen to that episode or watch that episode. Um, we had Elizabeth Melton talking about Banish Big Brother, which is one of the big projects of LP Georgia, talking about surveillance and smart cities and um, basically things that invade your privacy and sell your data without you agreeing to it. Um, we had Spike Cohen, just talking about liberty in general. It was a fantastic speech. You did a great Q&A. And the whole thing was live streamed. All, all three of those sessions were live streamed, so you could have tuned in live. Um, we'll be putting out uh, the high-quality versions soon. Um, and then the big event this past weekend was the presidential debate, which was a seven-way presidential debate between all of the candidates that are trying to get the nomination for our presidential run this year in 2024. Fantastic time. Mr. Brad Binkley was the moderator along with Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown. And the format was absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend you watch that when it comes out. It should come out later this week. We're currently editing it and uh, yeah, should be out by the end of the week. We will make sure to blast that out over all channels um, because it was a yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, surprise guest at the very end of the of the debate as well. So make sure you tune in to that. Uh, as usual, if you have any questions about LP Georgia or the Libertarian Party, you can go to our website, lpgeorgia.com. Um, you can also message us through any number of ways, email, um, Twitter, uh, Instagram, whatever. We're on, we're everywhere. We're on everything. Um, Rumble. Yeah, we're on everything. So just if you have questions, if you want to talk to us, if you have concerns, um, just reach out to us. Everybody's happy to talk. Or if you just want to do some research, go to lpgeorgia.com because we have tons of information on our website. Yeah, this past weekend was fantastic. Had a great time. A little stressful since I was uh, helping run it. But uh, overall, I think everybody had a good time. And uh, yeah, after the debate, we had the spin room with Tower Gang uh, podcast. So if you want to see the uh, see that episode of their show, you can go over to their channels, um, Tower Gang podcast spin room. Um, and then directly after that, we had uh, a comedy show, which we did not record. It's not going to be online. It was a be there in person or miss it kind of situation. So. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, it's good to be, we now have all of our delegates for DC. 
um, which there's 31 of us that will be traveling up to Washington, D.C. in May to our national convention um, to basically help select who's going to be our presidential nominee um, and vice presidential nominee. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. I am one of those people. There are 30 others. Um, yeah, not going to go through the list of names. In fact, I don't even remember the list of names. They're written down somewhere. Um, I don't think I need to, to go through all that. But y'all, things are happening. It's going to be a big year. Uh, it's exciting. Never been a part of a delegation that picks the nominee for our president. So that'll be pretty cool. Today, we have a special guest. He has written a whole bunch of books that you can find on Amazon, one of which I have, which is Resistance to Tyrants, um, Romans 13, and the Christian Duty to Oppose Wicked Rulers. Um, he is a pastor. He is obviously an author. Um, he is a war veteran, um, a husband and a father. So let's get to it. Let's go talk to him about his books, about his beliefs, about what he thinks about the Libertarian Party these days, and uh, it'll be a great time. Mr. Gordon Runyon. All right, Mr. Gordon Runyon, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Absolutely. Um, so went out and bought your book, Resistance to Tyrants. Um, haven't had time to read the whole thing yet. It was our convention weekend uh, this this weekend, so I was uh, extremely. As long busy. as you bought it, that's all that matters. <laughs> there we <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, and you had mentioned a new book that you or your more recent book, which you came out with, with which was Radical Moses, um, yes, sir. the amazing civil freedom built into ancient Israel. Um, so those are a couple of your books that people can go check out. You also have, I mean, you have a bunch of them. I was looking through them on, on Amazon. Um, I guess my first question for you is, is how did you get into, like, how did you get into being an author? Is that something you always wanted to do? Yeah, it really kind of is a uh, long story short. When I was a middle school kid, I read Salem's Lot by Stephen King, and it cost me about six months worth of sleep. And uh, I thought to myself, man, this is a strange power that this man has over me. And I want to be able to exercise that power over somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I always wanted to be a writer. And then uh, God got a hold of me and... and uh, Hopefully my motivations for writing are a little bit better now. So <laughs> that's gotcha. it. Yeah. So it started really young. I did my, uh, my love for like filmmaking and stuff. I mean, I guess I actually, I, I made some ridiculous movies with my brother when I was little, but I, I didn't uh, ever think that was going to be a career. You know? right. Um, right. At the time, did you think like, this is what I'm, this is what I want to do for, for like my job? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely. I wanted to write full time. I haven't achieved that or anything. I just retired from my day job at the U.S. Postal Service. And uh, okay. so that's allowing me to write more. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. No, I, I haven't achieved a full time film job either yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you always got to be doing other things when you're in the like in the arts. 
you know. Turns out there's a lot of competition in the old free market. Exactly, a lot of it. <laughs> um, well, what made you? So let's talk about your Christian roots first. Um, when did when did that occur for you? When did you convert to Christianity or come to come to know know Christ? Sure. I was 23 years old and I was in the Navy and uh, uh, had been raised in kind of a nominal Christian household and would have called myself a believer if you had asked me. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't live like it, though. I lived just like all the unbelievers around me. Mm -hmm. And one night I, I explained it as the Spirit of God just wouldn't let me escape the notion that if I really believed in the kind of God I say I believed in, then uh, that should probably affect the way that I live. I'm, I'm not giving him what he deserves if he really is what I say that he is. And uh, so kind of a process, but not being able to, to escape that idea and mm -hmm. kind of culminated in one night where uh, I just had to kind of give up and, and, uh, say, uh, you do with me what you want, Lord. And and so if I had known he was going to make me a pastor of a small church that uh, was going to take all my time, I'm not sure I'd have made that decision. But <laughs> no, I'm, I'm playing. But uh, yeah, I attribute it to God. I would have never chosen mm. the path that I'm on. I mean, I'm happy for it. I'm, I'm glad to be on it. Yeah, God is been nothing but faithful and gracious to me through Jesus. But, uh, but I attribute my choices to God. He kind of, he obviously had his hand on me and moved me in that direction. I gotcha. Um, I guess then the question is, did you have a choice or was it just the path for, uh, following a path to Liberty? Well, that's a deep question, isn't it? I, I do believe that God has things planned out, but he works through our choices and not not over or above them. He, uh, Some of the old theologians used to say uh, he does need us to be willing, but he kind of makes us willing. Uh, so I wasn't saved contrary to what I wanted or anything like that. I, I really did come to Christ because I knew that's what I had to do and, and was sick of doing everything else. I gotcha. Um, how do you approach pairing the two, or at least being vocal about your political beliefs as a Christian? Because I know that, um, I mean, there there are both sides of the coin of this, and that there are a bunch of people who who a bunch of Christians who like refuse to talk about politics, refuse oh, to get sure. involved, like don't think that it's the correct way to live, um, and then there are there are churches that full on go like full Patriot, like right. flags right. in the church, all that kind right. of stuff. Right. Um, so how, like, where's your balance in all this and how did you find it? Uh, I'm a gospel first guy. Uh, I would not, I guess if it was up to me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care that much what politicians do, mm -hmm. but one of the reasons I wanted to write this last book, Radical Moses was, to make the point that in my life, at least, I believe it's the study of the scriptures that has led me to a fairly radical libertarianism. And talking to other 
libertarian Christians online, it's kind of rare to find that. I find, uh, and I don't mean to be insulting or anything, but I find in a lot of cases, libertarian Christians kind of hold their libertarianism first. Mm. And uh, maybe some place below that, they have a, a commitment to the scripture that is, uh, you know, it's what they are doing. And I'm not going to tell them they can't do what they want to do. But I have a higher view of the scripture than a lot of libertarian Christians do. And I would say that it's precisely my Christianity that has led me to a fairly radical libertarianism, where I think uh, a lot of these other folks seem to have to hold these in tension as if they're opposed to each other. And I don't think they are. And I think if we did a better job of studying the commandments of God specifically, uh, we'd see that they're actually not. It's God who is the ultimate author of liberty, as our forefathers were fond of saying. It's interesting. So did your your path to liberty, did it start after 23 or before you were oh, way before, way before. Back in the '90s, I ran into I ran into some uh, authors, Christian authors, one of whom pointed me at uh, Frederick Hayek's book, *The Road to Serfdom*. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was the it was the theology that moved me toward the liberty, and uh, not the other way around, or certainly not in tension with each other. All right. Yeah, it's interesting. I because I found liberty completely separate from my Christian beliefs. Like I didn't, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't come across it through the scriptures. I came across it (laughs) basically in 2019, 2020 when things started getting really weird. Oh, right. Um, Well, that's a good time to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And ever since then, you know, I've been following people like uh, the anarcho Christian podcast and and people like that, um, which, I like finding those little nuggets that that kind of jive with the with libertarianism and, and sure. freedom freedom of people. So, um, yeah, what has been what has been one of the biggest difficulties with writing books like this um, that that uh, include politics and religion? Uh, actually, I think. There are a lot of especially conservative believers who are hungry for books that address politics. Mm. It's just that I find that many of them are so beholden to their political party, whether uh, one or the other, that uh, it's very hard for them to accept any ideas that conflict with what they're being told by the party leaders. You know, there are Christians who believe that uh, being a Republican is practically synonymous with being a believer in Jesus. And so it's hard when, you know, I write a book about how the law of God doesn't allow for things like border control by a centralized state. And, uh, you know, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's just the the difficulty, if you ask about a difficulty, is just getting people to think outside the boxes that they've been trained to think in. And I think you're just describing basically our entire problem with libertarianism is trying to get people to sure. think outside the box. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, how, how successful have you been in, in for, for, cause for me, 
just even just getting close friends and family to consider the ideas of libertarianism is extremely difficult and a very long process. Um, What has been your, your experience with, with, with that? Well, if you saw the size of the church that I pastor, you'd have your answer. (laughs) (laughs) My congregation is very small. I think we had 15 at, at worship last Sunday and, uh, and not all of them have bought in. You know, some of them are new to the congregation, but those who have been around for a while and have appreciated my Bible teaching in other areas, they've been willing to stick around long enough to hear, oh yeah, this guy isn't a crackpot and he really does care what the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. And and eventually they start seeing, oh yeah, well, I haven't been taught this before, but I see it for myself. It, it really is right there on the page. And so uh, it's like, like you mentioned, it's like just approaching a secular person and trying to describe libertarianism. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a really uphill educational fight is really where we're at. And that's the task at hand is just patient instruction. That's what we need to be about. Yeah. Patient instruction. I like that. Um, let's talk about your your time in the libertarian sphere. Um, have are, are you like politically involved? Or are you in like politically in the party and working in the party? Or are you more um, just preaching libertarianism in your everyday life? Yeah, the second is okay. true. I uh, <clears throat> if there was a really active libertarian party in New Mexico, I might get involved, but. There's like in in the county that I'm in, for instance, there's nothing, and and uh, I went through a phase as I was beginning to see some of these things. I, I went through a phase where political activism was where I thought the fight had to be, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and because I was seeing the Bible speak to politics, I thought man, I've got to, I've got to be in this, you know, and, uh, but turns out the beast that's in charge of all the bad things, (laughs) he doesn't care where you get involved in politics. He owns the whole system. And, uh, as long as, and, you know, I'm saying I went through a period where I thought running for office locally is what we need to be doing. And I did that. And I was the chairman of the local of the county Republican Party for a short period of time and uh, was a delegate to the state central committee in the Republican Party and shook hands with all the big, uh, powerful people and and they just don't care. And yeah. they just, uh, it's just, if you do get those seats of power, you find out right away there's really no power in them. Uh, if you start acting up or saying things out of line, there's always somebody higher than you that'll come shut you down. And even locally, uh, when your school board starts to act up and defy what they're being told to do, at least in New Mexico, the governor can just invalidate the whole school board and start from scratch with a new board that will do what she says. And, uh, the whole system is rigged is what I'm saying. And so for me, other people might think differently or think there's still value in pursuing those things. But for me, political activism is a dead end road. And it, 
my uh, my calling is as a teacher, and mm. I think there will be a time we reach some kind of critical mass where the ideas of liberty have uh, kind of suffused throughout the nation. Then we can maybe get some things done, but we're not close to that right now. So, gotcha. uh, and I don't, I'm not a defeatist. I think we'll get there, but because I think our message is powerful in the marketplace of ideas and uh, I'm not afraid of all the competing ideas. I think we win that fight given enough time. And so I think we'll get there, but I guess I'm saying the priority is first, you have to teach yourself, you have to teach your family and your friends and, and then you move out in concentric circles, so to speak. And politics really comes third or fourth thing down the line. And it's really about the promulgation of the ideas right now, as far as my estimation goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the saying is politics is downstream from culture. And yeah, exactly. You can develop the culture um, to be more freedom based or, sure. you know, whatever the culture is, the government is going to end up being something similar down the line. Right. And there's even a more basic idea, if I could throw that out, is mm -hmm. uh, it's not just that the church has been captivated by political parties, but it's on a more basic level. It's that the church has been captivated by the idea that executive authority is a good thing and mm -hmm. it's needed and we have to have people in charge of other people. Yeah. Uh, that's throughout the church. Uh, and it's a it's a plague wherever it's found. You hardly ever find an abusive church that doesn't have strong executive authority being exercised mm -hmm. in there. And as Christians, we love that. We love having our elders and our deacons, and we invest them with the authority to punish sin and coerce people to behave the way they want them to. Yeah. And it's just uh, that's the poisoned root that needs to be getting rid of first. So I'm kind of, I consider myself to be at war with simply the authority of executive power being wielded by humans over other humans. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. Um, let's talk about, uh, I think this, the resistance to tyrants is going to be yes. the, the, one of my, is my favorite title of all of your books. Um, it's the most grabbing. Um, right. I'm actually reading through Romans right now. So it was actually pretty good timing. Um, right. Can you give a like description of, of what's, what's in this book so people can, can go out and buy it? Yeah. I, I believe that the church has for a long time and not forever. I think it's fairly recent. I believe the church has been captivated by this false uh, statist teaching mm -hmm. that the Christian has some kind of duty to automatically obey whatever a person with any kind of civil authority tells them to do. Uh, for, for instance, years ago, before COVID, uh, there's a popular teacher named John MacArthur. And, and John MacArthur, I read something he wrote, and I haven't been able to find it again. So uh, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I read him say that passages like Romans 13, 1 through 7, actually teach that the Christian has an unqualified duty to obey civil government. And unqualified is a really uh, outrageous word to use, but he used it. And I think that is 
pervasive within our churches, especially evangelical churches. And that's why they're so big on, we need to get the right people in authority and then it'll be a lot easier to obey them, you know? Right. <laughs> and so it's my conviction that Romans 13, one through seven doesn't actually teach that. And it doesn't eliminate the idea that we obey as far as we can in Christ, but it's in Christ first, not in Christ second. Hmm. It's my conviction that a lot of the church sees Jesus saying no man can obey two masters. And there's a segment of the church that, that says, oh, sure we can. <laughs> we can we can have Jesus be the Lord of all the internal invisible stuff and then for everything else we'll just obey whatever the government says or whatever the elder of the church says or something like that there's always a human executive over us and we'll just obey them so we've got Jesus in his place over here and the human authorities over here turns out the human authorities are in charge of a lot more stuff than Jesus is and and uh, I'm just saying, you didn't get that idea from Romans 13, mm. especially when you uh, see it in its context. Gotcha. Um, my next question, I just had it in my brain and now it fell out. <laughs> um, dadgummit. There's something, something that you were just saying. Anyway. Um, so, well, I mean, can I say one other thing? Yes, please, please. I really feel like the key, one of the keys to understanding that passage is to understand when it's, when it talks about submitting to human authorities in the government, mm -hmm. that word submission is not the same word as the Bible uses for obedience. So the passage is not talking about instant obedience to just whatever we're commanded. It's talking about an attitude of submission. And if you do a word study on the Greek word that's used there, it really turns out to be a cheerful willingness to function as a servant. That's what it means. If you're submitted, you're submitted to your church authorities, you're submitted to your parents, you're submitted, wives submitted to their husbands. Yeah. It's not about obeying every little thing that they say. It's about an attitude of the heart by which it is my desire to be a great servant as far as you will allow me to be a good servant. I'm not going to disobey Jesus, but under him, I'm willing to be your servant in this matter. As long as you don't tell me stupid stuff or you've got dumb ideas or something like that, that does, but we can talk about all that, but being submissive doesn't mean just instantly obedient. I really like that. That's one of the best descriptions that I've, I've heard. Um, yeah, it's, people get well, really offended, like especially <laughs> non-Christians about the the wives submitting to their husbands. People do not right. like that phrasing, right. um, and that description that you just gave me is one of the best ones that I've that I've heard. Um, so exactly, exactly. And uh, man, that'd be a topic for another podcast. I'd really like to go into that. I feel like, like I said, I was at war with executive authority. I don't believe any human in the era of the New Testament has executive power over any other human, and that includes husbands over their wives. Mm -hmm. And by executive authority, I mean the ability to say, do what I tell you or else. It's the ability to use coercive power of any kind in order to get the behavior from you 
that I desire, even though you don't want to give it. And I don't believe that power exists for anybody uh, anymore. In fact, I would say that 1 Corinthians 15, 24 uh, makes the makes the point that when Christ returns, all executive power will have already been abolished. And so all these offices and just even the concept of an executive, Christ is our executive. He's our one king. And uh, I think executive power itself is on the chopping block. And so we shouldn't act like, well, we just need to take the one ring and use the one ring to do good. And that's not... Uh, it's it's corrupting and it's destructive wherever it's used. Yes, hundred percent, Gordon. I am stoked to finish your book, man. I'm stoked <laughs> to get some more. I, I, I'm loving hearing you speak. You're gonna have to come back on, and we're gonna have to talk some more sometime. <laughs> Great, I'd love it. Um, can you are you are you working on anything right now? Are you working on a new book? Uh, I have things in my mind for sure. I just finished Radical Moses, and if I could get, if I could get all the people who love what I say about Romans 13, if I could get them to dig into that as well, it would. Uh, I think it would be very transformative. Yeah. But I have ideas, and I'm I'm always writing something. <laughs> I love it, man. I love that. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have like, do you have a website? Um, I know you're, you've got a, um, Amazon page here yeah. that shows all your books, which is, I mean, just, just a crazy amount of books, man. It's, it's <laughs> so much writing, so many different topics. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, to be, to be fair, a lot of those are very small, uh, like individual sermons and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't matter. Uh, some of the best, oh. <laughs> some of the best libertarian books are are like a pamphlet, you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a strategic thing too. I'm kind of hoping that you write a bite-sized book, people will be more willing to chew on it. Hundred percent. When this thing showed up in the mail, I was like, oh. I can definitely get through this book. <laughs> right. right, that's on purpose. I don't want to write the big intimidating things. You'll notice there's not a single footnote in there or anything like that. And yeah. you know, footnotes. I understand what the scholars write. I, I read academic things, but I'm not that guy, and I want to speak to real people. And uh, so, purposely making it just as accessible as possible. Gotcha. Well, what would be, before we get out of here, what would be your last or your, your biggest piece of advice for Christian libertarians who are trying to spread libertarianism? Uh, just don't give up. Uh, be bold. Uh, I'm not always a huge fan of everything Jordan Peterson says, but he is right about a lot of things. And one of the things that he says that's right is, uh, freedom is really not going to come until we're willing to just keep saying what we think is true. And you just got to patient instruction is what it's about. That's what my nearly 20 years of pastoring have taught me. Uh, you just got to keep saying the same things over and over and, and not get discouraged when the people around you misunderstand you or they forget what you said or they act like you never said it. You, you just have to keep going and keep yeah. doing it. Yep. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples. I, I I can't imagine. I can't understand how there's not a 
how there's not a scene in the gospels where it shows Jesus pulling his own hair out or something like that. <laughs> at, at what these guys, they, they didn't get it. And he knew they weren't going to get it. And he was just patient. And yeah. that's the model that I think we have to follow. That's a, that's a tough one to walk sometimes, Gordon. <laughs> it, it's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Gordon, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you hopping on today. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, stick around after the after the credits and we can chat for a little bit. Um, sure thing, man. All right. Well, y'all, go check out Gordon Runyon's books. Uh, you can go find them all on Amazon. Um, I am reading through Resistance to Tyrants right now. So go get his books. Um, check it out. Do some learning. Have some patience. Um, and if you have any questions about the Libertarian Party, you can go to lp.org or lpgeorgia.com here in Georgia to learn more about the Libertarian Party. Uh, tune in Thursday nights, 8 p.m. and Mondays, or Thursday nights, 8 p.m. for Liberty Libations and Mondays at 8 p.m. for more free Georgia podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.